I'm just going to get Steve up. I'm just going to pray for him before he speaks. So come up now, mate. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for Steve and uh, thank you for the word you've placed in his heart. He's come to share. And um, yeah, we just thank you for the preparation you've been doing in his life. Um, and um, yeah, we just pray now that you speak powerfully through him. And um, yeah, we pray for all of us that um, you prepare our hearts uh, ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How would you respond if yourself or someone near to you went to the doctors? and was diagnosed with terminal cancer. How would you respond if you or someone near to you has a mental illness or some sort of physical infirmity that just won't go away? How would you respond if yourself or someone near to you has had your character assassinated? How would you respond with yourself or someone near to you that has an emotional pain that just never seems to go away. That gnawing sense of sadness that seems to linger on day after day. How would you respond if the Lord has given you children that have disabilities or infirmities of some kind and as parents becomes very difficult to deal with. Now in these moments, because of all the scenarios I mentioned are not directly linked to the cause of sin in our own lives, there's a tendency for us to say, does God care? Or where is God in this situation, in my friend's situation? What I want to do tonight is, I know some of us may be having adversity now. Some of us have faced adversity. But most of us are going to come across adversity in the future. And I want to arm us through the book of Job, how we can deal with adversity in our lives. So if you'd like to turn to Job, I'm going to read the first five verses and make some comments by way of introduction. There was a man in the land of Oz 
whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So we see here, the Bible introduces us to a man called Job. And the Bible presents this man as really having no overt moral defect. Yes, he had no doubt sins of infirmity. Yes, he had his struggles. But in, this, in Job's heart, the Bible says that he feared God. And he also lived at a life in moral integrity towards others. And as a result, the Bible says that God blessed Job. And we read before that Job had seven sons and three daughters. And in the Old Testament, a large family was indicative of God's blessing. But not only that, not only did God bless him with a large family, God blessed him with vast amounts of wealth. And to the point here where it actually says that he was the most distinguished man in the East for not only his integrity of his character, but for all his wealth. And so we read that Job's possessions, they didn't get to him. We read here that Job was a man of prayer. And in patriarchal times, the father prayed on behalf of his family. And Job was worried that one of his children would curse God. So whenever his children got together, he prayed for them. As we go on in the next scene, we, the scene switches from earth to heaven. I'm going to read the next couple of verses. We're sort of going to build up to a point. And it says in God's word in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. 
The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So we see here in this text that God in heaven is having a meeting and the sons of God or the angels, if you like, are coming to report to God and probably for worship and instruction. But we see here in this passage, and when you read it quickly, it's almost as though Satan comes to gatecrash the party. Here he is on the scene. But notice very carefully that Satan is reporting to God. Satan's action is not prevented but it's under God's control, as we'll see. One of the things I like doing is taking my dog for a walk. I have a golden retriever across the lab. His name's Alpha. And uh, when I brought him home a few years ago as a little puppy, I would have no idea at how big that he has now grown. One of the things I love doing is I love taking him to the oval. I'll let the leash off and he just roams. He just dashes up and down the oval for 40-odd minutes and he falls in a heap. But I remember a few months ago, I went to the oval and there was a cute little fluffy German shepherd who would have only been a couple of months old in the middle of the oval on the cricket pitch. And I thought, well, now's probably not a good time to let him roam. So I walked on the oval and I kept my dog on my leash. But at that time when I walked past that, that German shepherd, the little fluffy German shepherd, my dog was pulling at the lead, as dogs do. And my dog was barking at the German shepherd. My dog was trying to grab the German shepherd with his paw. But because he had a lead on, he couldn't get to the German shepherd at all. And you know, this is the way I see Satan's realm now. That Satan may scare us, Satan may intimidate us, Satan may roar at us, but Satan cannot touch us outside of God's sovereignty. And when it comes to adversity, when it comes to some of those scenarios that I mentioned at the start of my sermon, this is a great consolation that we have, that nothing can touch us. Not one single demon can touch us outside of God's sovereign control. And we read on, verses 9 to 12. It says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? 
You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So we get a couple of interesting insights from the text we just read. Firstly, we see Satan is accusing Job of serving God for wrong motives. He's saying essentially, hey, Job's just serving you because of what he's getting out of you. Job's just serving you because of all the abundant blessings that he's giving you. He's essentially charging Job of self-centeredness. And I think it's not the point of my sermon, but I think it's helpful for us at this time to take stock of our motives. What is driving us? What is the fuel in our tank that is driving us in all that we do? Because our motives are never neutral. And we're going to see with Job, because his motives were pure, that was going to hold him up when a time of testing came. And we see something else in what we read. And that is that God had put a hedge around Job's possessions so Satan couldn't get to him, couldn't get to his possessions. And Satan essentially is saying to God, take away that hedge And because Job serves you for selfish motives, Job will curse you to your face. Whether it's in his heart, whether it's in his actions, or whether it's verbally, Job will curse you to your face. So let's see what happens when, under God's permission, Satan takes away this hedge. And remember that Satan wasn't allowed at this point to touch Job. And this is really the the heart and core of my sermon. Let's see what happens. Remember, uh, Satan cannot touch Job's person, but he can do anything else he likes. Let us read on. We'll read verses 13 to 15. It says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the uh, uh, Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So we see here the Sabaeans. 
carry off all of Job's oxen and asses, and they slay his servants with the sword. But notice what else happens. It says, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell upon heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So we see here lightning comes down and destroys Job's sheep. We read on, verses 18 to 19. Oh, sorry, verses 17. It says, While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So again, the Chaldeans come along and they carry off all of Job's camels. But notice what happens now. You think he'd suffered enough. It says, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So we see here a great wind destroys the eldest son's house. Now since it smote the four corners, it was probably a a tornado or a whirling wind, but the result was all of Job's children, his children, died. Now, I want you to notice something. The start of verse 16. While he was yet speaking. Verse 17. While he was yet speaking. And verse 18. While he was yet speaking. Notice the rapid succession of these trials. One wave after another crashed upon Job's world in the one moment, in one day. I think sometimes we can handle a trial. We can sort of just get through the bit of stiff upper lip. But if we get one trial after the other, one after the other, coming in upon it, wave after another, crashing in upon our lives, this can become quite a severe test to our faith. I tried to think of a modern analogy, but can you imagine if you were driving along Maroondah Highway and you got a phone call and someone said, again, this is all hypothetical, but someone said, fire's just ripped through and your, your home is gone. It's completely gone. 
And say that the very minute you just hanged up that phone, you had another phone call. And someone said, look, the bank's collapsed. All, all your savings are gone. And can you imagine at that very point you just hanged up the phone, you had another phone call and said, the share market's crashed. You've got nothing. Can you put yourself in the shoes of that scenario? But can you imagine when you hanged up, you had another phone call? And someone said that all your children were in a car and they were driving over to see you and they were in an accident, a car accident, and they were all dead. How would you respond in that scenario? How does Job respond? Well, I want to make an interesting observation. And we'll read how Job responds. And I'll make several comments. So this is Job's response to everything that we've just looked at. It says this, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Notice the reaction of Job. Notice he manifests his deep sorrow. And this is really, I've only got two points for this sermon. And the first thing, the take-home lesson that I want us to, to have entrenched in our minds is that when adversity strikes our lives, like it did Job's, firstly, we are to feel the pain. Job here feels the pain in his adversity doesn't have this stoic-like attitude. And sometimes as Christians, we can have a little place for tears when adversity comes in our lives. Sometimes it's all about the head knowledge and the outward behaviour. But when adversity comes, how we feel and our heartfelt emotion is very important that we feel that and express it. Is this not what we read in the Psalms? David was constantly fleeing from Saul in many of the Psalms he wrote. And you read the Psalms, and David is, is introspective, he is telling us how he feels. And when you read the Psalms, they go from one emotional level to another. So it behoves us, when we are going through adversity, like Job, we are to feel 
the pain. Now, after I wrote this sermon, I thought to myself, I can't relate to Job. I can't relate to what Job's experiencing here. So I actually spoke to someone that can. I spoke to someone who has had a betrayal of the highest order. And I said to them, tell me what advice you would give to someone who's having strong adversity in their lives. And so, again, this is after my sermon was written. They wrote a letter back to me. But I just want to read two paragraphs. Remember, this is someone who has experienced betrayal of the highest kind. Now, excuse the English, but as I read, it says this. Take care of yourself. You have been through an enormous shock and loss. One of the biggest losses that you can experience in life. Don't let other people diminish this time of grief and loss. Allow yourself to feel the pain and grieve your loss. It is not weak to cry, to sob, and cry from the pit of your stomach. That is grief. You have to feel it. There will be no healing for you if your emotions aren't dealt with. Do not rush yourself with your emotions. For other people, it is all over and you have moved on within, within weeks. This is not reality for you. you are going, what you're going through is a normal part of grief. What does the New Testament say about Jesus? It says that he was a man of sorrows. Jesus felt the pain. Job felt the pain. This woman that I'm talking about, she felt the pain, is still feeling the pain. And what I want to encourage you is that when adversity comes into your life, if it is not already in your life. Don't be in denial. Don't just push it away. You need to, like David in the Psalms, feel the pain, express the pain, and pour out your heart unto God. And I say that because of our stiff British upper lip heritage, this isn't necessarily something that's common. And this is important for us. But notice Job not only felt the pain... Notice what else he does or expresses. And the question is, what stops Job's emotions spiralling out of control? What stops your emotions spiralling out of control when adversity strikes your life? Well, notice Job allows his emotions to be subservient to the truth. And notice Job here says one of the most phenomenal statements, I think, in the whole of Scripture. 
This is probably the most phenomenal classic surrender statement you'll read in any page of scripture. What does he cling on to? What, what holds Job up when his life is falling apart? He's lost all his possessions. He's lost his ten children. What holds you up when your life is falling apart? What causes you to, what enables you to just keep things going in your life? Well, let's see what held things together for Job. Notice what he says. He says, And he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My second point is, and my final point is, Not only are we to feel the pain when adversity comes into our lives, but we are to cling to God's sovereignty. God's, the fact that God is in control of everything. Job here acknowledged that it was God that had given him his possessions. It was God that had given him all his children. And I love this statement because it reflects the heroism of manhood, the epitome of masculinity. Here, where most men would fall down like a deck of cards, Job's faith stands firm. He's unmoved. And he clings to the sovereignty of God. When all else is falling apart in his life, he clings to the fact that God is in control. And may this be true of us. When adversity comes in our life, Job knew in this statement that God was sovereign over people. God knew that, Job knew, sorry, that although the Sabaeans carried off the oxen and the asses, it was ultimately under God's control. Although the Chaldeans carried off the camels, it was ultimately under God's control. God is sovereign over people. And we see this in the whole of Scripture. We see God's sovereignty over people in a positive way, that God prompts people's desires and actions for good. We see this in Daniel, where with the princes, they, they had favour with Daniel. But on the other hand, God moves negatively in his sovereignty over people. We see this with Pharaoh, where it says that God negatively restrained his desire, uh, Pharaoh's desires and actions. And I think this is, a, this is a comfort for us in affliction in our lives because normally our affliction will involve people. And we are to acknowledge that God is sovereign over people. doesn't mean that he coerces them or violates their free will, but he's in control of us, of people. 
And I remember we experienced this in our own lives about six months ago. We had no money in our account and we prayed the night before that God would provide for us. And literally we had nothing. And at 9.30 that morning, someone, God, had put in someone's heart to place a food order at Coles. And we see God's sovereignty in people's lives. But notice, secondly, notice that God was sovereign over circumstances. Notice that Job acknowledged that although the fire of God destroyed the sheep, Job knew that it was ultimately under God's permission. And although a great wind destroyed his son's house and, and, and destroyed all his children, Job knew that that circumstance, those circumstances with the wind and the lightning, were under God's sovereign control. This is a great comfort for us when adversity comes into our lives. But not only is the demonic realm under God's sovereignty, not only are people under God's sovereignty, but also all the circumstances in our lives. There's no such thing as a tragic accident or bad luck in God's economy. And is this not what Jesus taught, arguing from greater to lesser? He said that even the hairs on our head are numbered, even a sparrow that falls to the ground is, is not without his knowledge and his sovereignty So will we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives? I remember one of the most respected men in my life, my previous pastor, it was about 20 years ago. I remember two weeks before he died, he came to my, uh, the funeral for my, my, um, my, my uh, grandmother which was, a, which was a miracle in itself. This man was in, in a very frail condition, very emaciated in his, in his body. But on that day, I remember him leaning, he asked me to lean down and he spoke into my ear and he said, I just want you to say, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. And this man, he shined for Christ in his adversity. I remember asking his wife, what, what held him up? Like this guy who's at death's row. What made him so joyful and peaceful in those last few weeks and months of his life? And she said to me that something he would say over and over again is that the Christian life unfolds like the backside of a tapestry. He'd say this over and over and over again. And what he means is that although on the back of the tapestry, I'm sure you would have all seen one, there is a jumble of thread. It is tangled, it is knotted, it is frayed, seemingly random. 
seemingly no order. But on the other side of that tapestry is an astonishing piece of art with all the patterns, all the textures, all the colours. And I want to bring that illustration into our world because it's true that because God is sovereign, he's working on the fabric of our lives. He was working on the fabric of Job's life. And Job, remember, didn't see the heavenly scene. But I want to say this, that there is no thread of experience, even if it's bad, that is wasted on God's tapestry. And that God, in his sovereignty, is weaving your life together towards a masterpiece. And so I urge you tonight to trust, to not only when adversity comes, to feel the pain, as Job did, as Jesus did, as all the psalmists did, as our friend did, but also to cling to God's sovereignty. And remember this, there is not one demon, there is not one natural circumstance, there is not one person that is outside of God's sovereignty. That is a tremendous comfort to us when adversity comes. I want to conclude by telling you of a friend who I spoke to recently who spent two weeks working at a specialist unit that dealt with post-traumatic stress, particularly with army officers and policemen. And the advice given to those army officers in light of their stress is really the exact opposite to what I've given you tonight. They are told rather than to feel the pain, they are to dull the pain. Many of these uh, officers and police, men and women, are on heavy medication. These people, many of them are suicidal. Many of them can't sleep. And if they do, they have nightmares. Because they have experienced some shocking, irreversible circumstance like Job did. And to make it real, I'll tell you of a story that was told to my friend. She said there was a policewoman that she spoke to. And this policewoman was asked to, to go to a family because they thought that the daughter of the parents could be in danger. So this police woman went to the home. She interviewed the parents. She assessed the situation. And she thought from, from what she could see that it was fine. 
A week later, she was the first responder on the scene of that home. And the death, the corpse of that daughter. And this woman couldn't function anymore in her home. She just, this woman didn't have an open world view like we do. She just couldn't, couldn't live anymore. After all, if there's an atheist, she thought, well, that's, that's not going to give me any, it, there's no God, there's no comfort. And even if there is a force, well, what sort of comfort is a force in a dark hour? She had no belief in God. And this woman was an absolute mess. And she may still be. But do you know that we as Christians, we don't have her worldview. We serve a God that is personal, that is loving. And that is wise. So we can feel the pain. And we can cling to God's sovereignty. Unlike this woman I mentioned. She had nothing. But we have everything. We have God who is sovereign. So I want to encourage you. When adversity comes. Will you feel the pain? It's very simple. Will you feel the pain? Don't deny it. Feel the pain as Job did. But also cling to God's sovereignty. And will you see that behind the frowning providence hides a sovereign smile? pray. O God, O Lord, I pray, Lord, may your Holy Spirit move now in our hearts. Lord, prepare us as a church, Lord, for adversity. It is inevitable. And in light of recent parliamentarian discussions that may come upon us more quickly than what we think. So Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, we all suffer adversity in different degrees, different places, in different ways. Lord, I pray that you would entrench, even write with an iron pen on the hearts of each one of us tonight, to feel the pain and to cling to your sovereignty, no matter what happens in this life. O God, I pray that those words would not fall to the ground. God, I pray, help us again. Help us, each one of us, when adversity has come or will come, to feel the pain and to cling to your sovereignty. Amen.